Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. True discipleship is a way of life and living and love. Ultimately, it's who we are. And that's the subject and the title of today's message, which is based on Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 16, and starts out with some personal thoughts on pastoral identity. Well, you know, one of the things that I have come to realize over the course of what is almost now 40 years in this work of ministry is it's pretty much a rare occasion when your identity, that is who you are, is not wrapped up in being a pastor. Not that this is a problem for me. I, I want to say that right up front. Because I think you know that I love what it is that I do and that this calling to ministry is part and parcel of who I am. That said, I, however, I must confess that there have been moments over the years when I would have just as soon preferred to remain anonymous. Like when you're all dirty and grubby and sweaty and tired from having worked outside all day, but you've got to rush to get to the post office before it closes, only to be met in that exceptionally long line at the post office by the perfect stranger who recognizes you as a local pastor and seizes the moment to ask you all about your church. Or like when you've been invited to a marshmallow roast with your child, and you end up being cornered by two men from another church in another town who want you, you, to settle a horrible dispute they've been having in their congregation about how much the organist should be paid. <laughs> and let's put this in some context. This was a few years ago. The conflict arose because they couldn't decide whether to, or not to raise the salary of the organist from $10 to $15. <laughs> and people were leaving the church because of it. This is a true story. And, you know, that aside, by the way, I advocated for the 15 Susan. <laughs> and let's not even talk about it. For now, anyway, the well-meaning people who wish to pick your brain about things like end times, virgin birth, whether you believe in a literal hell, and where Cain got his wife, all the while standing with our grocery carts in the frozen food aisle. Also a true story. I think I speak for a lot of my colleagues in ministry, and Eric, this goes for you too, that this is why we all kind of tend to keep a low profile during our vacation time. Of course, it goes without saying that we're not alone in this need for some selective anonymity. Police officers, teachers, doctors, all kinds of people in the public eye have the same kind of experience. I remember some years ago when the children were young, we went on a camping trip in Vermont. And we got friendly with the, the family, a couple with a few young kids as well, who were next to us at the campground. And, and we hung out, the kids played together. And all through the week, one thing that never came up was our professions. Nobody said, what do you do? And at the end of the week, the subject finally came out, and it turned out that this uh, uh, dad that I've been coming around with was a police officer. 
and he wasn't any more anxious to share that he was a cop than I was to, that I wanted to be that I was a pastor. Oh well. All I know, and I say this in a mostly positive way, being identified as a clergy type, this kind of thing kind of goes with the territory. But that said, it's also true that while you might be able to take the boy out of the church, kind of hard sometimes to take the church out of the boy. There was another camping trip up at White Lake State Park. And I... One night on that trip, I was walking Sarah, who was just itty-bitty at the time, to the campground's lavatory facilities. It's well after dark, so we're walking our way down the road with our flashlights shining, and out of nowhere, almost like a deer jumping into our headlights, there was this other little girl, not much older than Sarah, and who had somehow gotten separated from her mother in the darkness and was now unsure of where she was and how she was ever going to find her way back to the campsite. And she's crying. And then with this tearful and shaky voice, she asked if she might please walk with us because she'd gotten lost and now she was so scared. Well, of course you can, I replied. And, and in my best daddy voice, I, I told her, don't worry, don't worry, we'll get you back to your mom. After all, you know, it's really easy to get turned around in the dark, and, and it is pretty scary, isn't it? Well, that must have been all the assurance she needed because the little girl opened up and immediately told us her life story. <laughs> probably, no, no, probably about it. Most certainly sharing much more than her parents would have ever wanted us to know. But that was okay, because as far as that little girl was concerned, we were old and trusted friends. It ended up that since her very distraught mother was busy looking around, we managed to bring the two of them to back together fairly easily. A scared child was home again, safe and sound. A mother's panic was replaced by relief and gratitude. And in the process, perfect strangers, people that never met before, probably would never meet again, had become, in that instance, caring friends. Now, I ask you, was this an official pastoral activity of great religious significance? No, not by a long shot. Did I ever, in that instance, said, well, I can find your way, little girl. I'm the Reverend Michael Lowry. <laughs> no, never happened. Truth be told, I was more in that moment in a daddy mode than I was in a pastor mode. But you know, in the years that have passed since, I've been thinking about it, and I realize in the truest sense what happened that night, and, and my response to it at least, was ministry. In this case, quite literally, a ministry of love and light to the lost. It was a small moment, to be sure. But it was one in which faith and kindness came into play in a real and meaningful way. It was, in every sense that matters, ministry. Christian ministry, you see, friends, is not so much a job. I've said that for years, and the, and the older I get, the longer I'm in this work, the more I know it's true. It is not so much a job as it is a vocation. It is a way of life and living and love. 
In other words, you're a, if you are a minister of Jesus Christ, you are always on duty. Whether you are on the job or you're on vacation, or for that matter, if you're waiting in line at Market Basket. It is who you are. But here's the thing, and this is what I want to talk about today. Lest you think that this only applies to those of us who work in the church or perhaps have an REV in front of their names, understand that this applies to you as well. It applies to each one of us here as Christians. Ministry, you see, Christian ministry is a vocation that belongs to each and every one of us. It's a calling that touches all the other tasks that make up the ebb and flow of our daily lives, regardless of what it is that we do to earn a living or what it takes for us to raise our families. It really is, as our text says for this morning, about reaping whatever you sow in the everyday of life. It really is doing what is right, It really is working for the good of all. It is about bearing one another's burdens. And not in the sense of just mere philosophy, but as a way of life. It's about true forgiveness and the restoration of others in the spirit of gentleness. It's about viewing those around us not as strangers or or mere acquaintances, but as brothers and sisters who are to be loved and cared for in the same manner as Jesus Christ has loved us. It's about bringing ourselves to people. It's about opening ourselves to people who need to hear the good news of God's kingdom. That good news told by words, yes, but more essentially by the example of our very lives. It's true ministry, and it is a ministry that belongs to each one of us. This is what's sometimes referred to in Christian theology as, quote, the priesthood of all believers, unquote, which means that we're all ministers because it's who we are. Well, in that text we shared this morning, Paul is seeking to teach the Galatians, in essence, how they should be towards each other. These new Christians at Galatia, you see, had a bent towards, shall we say, scriptural scriptural correctness. That is, they concerned themselves with staying wholly true to the law of Christ, almost to the point of becoming like Pharisees. In other words, and to say this maybe a little more gently, They were devoted to doing everything right, spiritually speaking. But they were doing so arrogantly and without any kind of sympathy for others. And in the process, they were isolating themselves from the rest of the world. The question here is, how much is too much? When does staying true to the gospel and to God's law, as important, as essential as that is, When does that get in the way of true faith? When does it risk mocking God in the process? Because there's a danger in that. What Paul seeks to remind the Galatians is that our Christian duty, 
that is our vocation, our job, is not just to ourselves, but to others. We are called to bear one another's burdens. We are supposed to help those who have gotten lost as regards to their lives and faith so that we might gently, gently lead them home. We're to be generous to others. We're supposed to be open and giving without making everything we do an exercise in self-indulgence and false piety. We are to model our lives in true adherence to God's law. In the words of Sarah Henrik of Lutheran Seminary, we are to do what is given us to do on behalf of our neighbor, as God, on behalf of God's people, did what needed to be done for them. And that's important because make no mistake, if we're not doing that, God can be mocked. And God is not mocked. Or if you want the message translation for that, no one makes a fool of God. After all, says God, we do reap what we sow. What a person plants, he will harvest. That's the message again. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds, and all he'll have to show for his life are weeds. But, as Paul goes on to say, the one who plants and responds to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. And isn't that what the kingdom is all about? And as disciples of Jesus Christ, isn't that who we are? I hope that is true. The late Marshall McLuhan famously said that the medium is the message. Remember that phrase? The medium is the message. McLuhan was referring to the massive effect of media on our collective lives. He was commenting on how what we see on a television screen or in the movies or in the papers ends up what a great many people assume to be real about life, living in the world, whether it's actually true or not. A theory, I dare say, that though posited in the 1960s, has never been truer than it is in 2022. But may I suggest to you that it's also true as regards the church and its mission, our mission. Friends, we are called by Jesus himself to be about the business of God's kingdom. But for that to happen, we need to be living, acting, and being as though that kingdom has already come in its fullness. Indeed, we are the medium that is the message where the kingdom of God is concerned. We need to live lives that show forth the truth that love is the only redemptive power. We need to be reordering our priorities as persons and as a people so that others will not come to assume that the predominant culture of this world is one of manipulation, violence, hatred, and neglect. If you and I are to proclaim Christ as the Lord of life, if we ever expect to change the world by virtue of Christ's love, we are going to need to live unto that change that Christ has made in each of us by living out of that same love. 
You know, and that's one of those things that sounds great in theory. It's a great thing for preachers like me to say from the pulpit. But it really comes down to the nut and bolts issues that we face each and every day, friends. So let me ask you something this morning. Can you love your neighbor? And I'm not talking here in a greeting card kind of way either. I mean, can you really love your neighbor? Are you able to do it? Can you, for instance, love that person, that person, and you know who they are, who just seems to go out of their way to be a thorn in your side? Can you love them? Can you love that person who has been unkind to you? who perhaps has unjustly accused you who, or who has been telling lies about you behind your back? Can you love them? Can you love the one who's hurt you, whose actions has made your life difficult? Can you love the one with whom you disagree vehemently? Can you love them even when they haven't loved you? Can you love those who maybe need that love the most, even when in a whole lot of ways it doesn't seem like they deserve that love, even when loving them might go against your own sensibilities? Can you honestly, truly, fully work for the good of all? Can you love them? Well, to quote Sarah Henrik once again, such a life needs graciousness, perseverance, a constant cheerful sowing, and a refusal to judge who is worthy of your help and who is not. And it takes strength as well. Let's just be honest, because whatever else one can say about it, it is most decidedly not easy to love your neighbor as yourself. But if we hear what Paul is saying here, and so emphatically, and I love this about this passage, Paul says it so emphatically that he makes a point of writing this in large letters with his own hand. That's the biblical equivalent of putting a sending a text or an email out in all caps. He wants you to know this is the center of it all. That if we know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to understand that this is the life that is expected of us as his disciples. And we must never, ever grow weary in doing what is right. Because doing what's right, loving our neighbor, working for the good of all, that's who we are. I know, sometimes you and I will succumb to the temptation of believing that we can somehow compartmentalize our faith to a specific time and place. That we can somehow keep what we believe about God and Jesus and the Christian life contained right here within these walls. Take them out for a couple hours every Sunday morning and feel good about ourselves as we do. But that's not the ministry to which we are called on a Sunday morning. And that is not the ministry to which we've been called by Christ. It is not where the Spirit is leading us, which is out these doors and into our homes, out into the community, out into the world with what we know is true, proclaiming good news and working 
in every opportunity that is given us for the good of all. We have this ministry in Christ's name, beloved. And even now, it's unfolding in the times, the places, and amongst the people of our lives. A whole lot of times, it's not going to feel religious at all because it isn't. But it definitely is about our Christian calling to love one another as we have been loved. Because who knows what's going to happen in that ministry if we follow through in our lives. I think this is one of my absolute favorite quotes from Frederick Buechner. He asked this question. He writes, who knows how the awareness of God's love first hits people? Some moment happens in your life, he says, that makes you say yes right up to the roots of your hair, that makes it worth having been born just to have had happen. How about the person you know who, as far as you can possibly tell, has never had such a moment? the soreheads and the slobs of this world, the ones that that world has hopelessly crippled. Maybe, Beatner writes, maybe for that person, the moment that has to happen is you. Good thing to keep in mind, beloved, as each of us goes forth this day as ministers of the gospel, May we be ever blessed in our ministries of love in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we go forth today, always may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, It's Who We Are. It was recorded during our July the 3rd service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. Now, if you're visiting New Hampshire this summer, maybe looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation and I think you'll be glad you came, and I would love to have the chance to welcome you. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.